0: Welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Emily Hutchinson.
1: And I'm your co-host, Mark Ambrosio. And uh, we're joined today by uh, Pascal Do you, Uh Pascal, would you int- introduce yourself for us?
2: Yeah. Um, hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Pascal Michelberger. I'm a PhD candidate in comparative literature in the Department of Cultures and Languages here at Western
0: Why don't you tell us about what your thesis was about? You just submitted it, so congrats. That's amazing. Thanks. Tell Um, us about it.
2: Yeah, so my thesis, my research that I did over the past few years is on fictional representations of the legal prosecution of Nazi atrocities that was pursued in West Germany in the late 1950s and 1960s. So the films, novels, and plays that I looked at for my thesis, they were all published within the past Ten to fifteen years, but what they all have in common is their focus on on that period in the '50s and '60s, mm-hmm. um, and the prosecution of Nazi atrocities in West Germany.
1: I find that very interesting um, because I know um, the Nuremberg trials took place sometime earlier, um, late '40s, and I believe, and and into the early '50s. Well, right now, the time you're looking at, Pascal's, late '50s and early 1960s, and so um, if I understand it correctly, you're talking about prosecutions within West Germany, like Correct. within the West German yes. legal system. Yes.
2: Yeah. So the Nuremberg trials in the late 40s, as you said correctly, those were um, run by the allies, um, not by the new West German state that only mm. came into being in 49. Um, so you might wonder, why is there a two decade gap between the Nuremberg trials and the, the prosecutions I'm looking at? Um, and that's really part of what the fictions talk about. It's part of my research. And well, the short answer is that it took a, it took a bit of time for the German judiciary to be reestablished. It also took a little bit of time to, to get the political will to actually have those pr- prosecutions happen within West Germany um, run by the German judiciary.
0: Right. Okay. And I understand you're looking at recently published literature, so you're kind of doing a couple steps back. Like you're looking at works published now about a time back then that was doing a trial from something even farther back. How did that, how did you decide to do recent works instead of works that were published during the time that it was happening?
2: Well, the reason really is that I found this cluster of recently published fictional works that were all published around the same time. And well, the way I like to explain it is that um, around 2010, two biographies were published about the same person who Mm -hmm. was very involved in the legal prosecution of those cases in the 1950s and 60s. Um, His name was Fritz Bauer. Mm -hmm. He was the director of public prosecution at the time at the, um, in Frankfurt, at the state of Hesse. So he was the main initiator behind the one big trial that everyone is still talking about, the Frankfurt Auschwitz trial, um, and his role in the prosecution of those crimes, um, the trial in Frankfurt, but also um, in getting Adolf Eichmann to Jerusalem, mm-hmm. where his trial took place, that only came re- really came in the spotlight um, ten or fifteen years ago, um, and that was that was a big topic of conversation in Germany, and I think. It's because of that that filmmakers and authors started to to look at his story and his
1: contributions. and um, Started to come up with these fictional stories. Hmm. Pascal, it's very interesting. What is it about the the medium of fiction? Is there an advantage to studying what happened with the trials in, late, in the fifties and sixties? We're looking at you're looking at recently published fiction. What insight does that recently published fiction give you? The contemporary accounts from the time do not. Mm-hmm.
2: That's it's a really interesting question. It's actually the question I kind of end my thesis on. Um, if you ask someone from Germany, closer to my age, my generation, it seems mind-blowing that it was so difficult in the 60s to have legal prosecution and to hold perpetrators accountable nowadays um, the big trial that happened, but also legal prosecution at the time in general is kind of regarded as a turning point in German post-war history and in the mm-hmm. way um, the Third Reich is looked at. It's I think it's a really important reminder that what seems so simple today, you know, s- someone does something wrong and you take them to court and they mm-hmm. get punished for it and mm-hmm. there's justice, is much harder and much were difficult to achieve in times of political transition, in the aftermath of um, mass atrocity. And I think that's really what the what those fictional works
1: underline. That's very interesting. Um, <clears throat> and you alluded, Pascal, to, like today, we look at it and think, well, why did it take so long? But as you know, um, coming out of the war, it wasn't like, OK, Turn the lights. Okay, the Nazi regime is over. Turn on the lights. Okay, there's a democratic regime. And because, you know, there was the Allied occupation for a few years in the West and in the East, it continued perhaps, you know, and, and uh, which is its own topic. Uh, but, you know, in the West, I remember hearing about how the Allied governments wanted West Germany, the Federal Republic of Germany, to, okay, the Cold War is starting with Russia and Russia's satellite states, Poland, East Germany, etc. We need you to rearm. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I don't know much about that area, area of history, but I heard like there were awkward conversations at the time because, okay, we're rearming, Okay, cool. Um, who will be involved? Who will be involved in positions of leadership? What do we do? And then, you know, like uh, questions as, as to identity and uh, guilt were sort of there in the background, I feel. And perhaps they weren't in it fully come out for another 10 plus years. Is that correct?
2: Well, I guess, you know, I- in general, it's, there's difficult questions to be answered right, at, right in, this, in this moment of transition. Let's just take um, the staffing of government position or in the judiciary. You can go a more idealist route and say, well, anyone who had anything to say during the Nazi time should not be in power now. Or, and that's, that's more of what happened, you can say, well, we have qualified staff, from before if we just put them aside now then who's going to have the expertise to lead us into this difficult Mm -hmm. new beginning Mm -hmm. so you can be more pragmatic and say okay we we kind of have to work with what we have in order to make sure we we move forward um and neither approach is really um without caveats and that's that's really what those stories are about
0: Wow, this is so cool. So you're looking at works of fiction, which includes novels and films and plays, right? So uh, I'm, my question is, how is it portrayed differently in those things, or is there a lot of overlap, and what is the audience uh, expected? So if you if you write a play, maybe you're speaking to one audience, but a, a movie would be to another. Uh, how does that interact with your research?
2: The particular fictional works I looked at, I found lots of similarities and overlap between them because there's certain there's certain historical events at the time that that are considered so important they all touch on them in one way or mm-hmm. or the other and what i really found fascinating and i guess what really motivated me to do this research is that we often tend to look at fiction as just that just fiction right and if you have fiction that takes place against a historical backdrop of some sort you say well you have a love story or a detective story or whatever it may be, and then you learn a little bit about what happened in history at that time, but it's really a fictional story first and foremost. And mm-hmm. I wanted to dig a little bit deeper and do away with the fiction the purely fictional aspects of the of those stories, the love stories and whatnot. and I just wanted to see how how well do those fictional works um, communicate the complexities of that situation, especially the legal complexities of prosecuting crimes of that sort. Um, and I was surprised at how nuanced at times those difficult questions are negotiated in the fictional stories.
1: That's very fascinating. Fiction can be, we th- you think of fiction and history being totally different things, but they're not because people can learn about history through fiction uh, fiction becomes a way of sharing history as you know and so what you're looking at here is you're looking at contemporary like recently published um, well, So I'm, i have to be careful with the word contemporary there but recently published works of fiction that are studying or portraying or depicting those events from the 50s and 60s and you are actively going in to see So correct me if I'm wrong uh, Pascal but you're are you going in to see the accuracy of those works of fiction well, a- accuracy, that
2: always depends. Accuracy in terms of what, right? What I'm not looking for is do they get the dates right and the mm-hmm. mm-hmm. people involved? What I'm interested in are the questions at the time, is their complexity represented to to a degree that really pays justice, mm-hmm. no pun intended, to <laughs> the complexity <laughs> of those questions. Um, so, for example, the um, the first three chapters of my thesis, I kind of structured in the way that a legal case at court would proceed. So in my first chapter, I, I look at the fictional works and I examine how the conducting of investigations is portrayed. Um, how do you even learn of potential cases? Um, how do you make sure you you gather enough initial evidence to actually have a case that you can then you know, pass along the, the the proper, the proper channel. Um, but also, um, is there political, institutional um, pushing back against those um, investigations? And that's exactly what's in the fictions. And then in the second chapter, I take a closer look at the uh, at evidence. How is the gathering of evidence portrayed in the fictional works? For example, there's lots of lots of cases um, where witnesses are heard. And of course, the problems are, well, first of all, those cases are, they date 20 years back. So witness might not recall Mm -hmm. all the details or even the crimes um, that these cases are about were often um, committed under circumstances where no one could really see or notice what exactly was happening, who was involved, names, dates, Mm -hmm. places. That's all difficult. So I do that in the second chapter, where I also look at um, documentary evidence and records. And then in a third chapter, which I probably found the most interesting, now looking back at it, I really take a close look at this final step of, well, the fictional stories have reached a point now where evidence has established that certain things took place in the past. Mm -hmm. How is that now translated into... Uh, questions of criminal culpability, because what the fictions underline is it's difficult to really define what makes a perpetrator in those cases. Mm -hmm. For example, there's um, complex um, lines of responsibility, of following orders, of giving orders, of taking responsibility, Um, and those are all really tricky questions. and it's essentially, and that's that's really what I emphasize in that part of the, my thesis, a question of storytelling. Mm-hmm. You can look at what someone did, you can look at the established facts, but then in order to come to a, to a conclusion, to a verdict in terms of their criminal culpability, you have to interpret that evidence in a certain way. Mm-hmm. For example, there are instances in the fictional stories where defendants um, tried to defend themselves by um, by using what in the literature is called um, the Schindler's List defense. So if you ever heard of the film, Schindler's List, they're saying, well, we did do selections on the ramps where prisoners would arrive and then it would be decided if they went to the work camps or if they were to be killed right mm-hmm. away. Um, and in the fiction works and that's actually that's not just the fictional works, that happened at the trials as well. Mm-hmm. Defendants would say, well, because of what I did, some people were spared from being murdered right away. Mm-hmm. So in a way I saved their lives. Oh. Right? And that's just and if you look at the evidence, then you know, it's what you can argue. If it's yeah. convincing, that's a totally different story. But right. uh, and I think the fiction works all do a great job at really you know bringing out these these difficult questions and these considerations that you don't even think about you know you think it's you think it's fairly easy something is proven and then you get a verdict but it's not that easy no
0: wow this is so interesting and speaking of complexity and and trying not to simplify that in the books, but you, you must have a lot of, like, legal knowledge of how these trials happened. Uh, did you have to, like, take a course and figure out how trials work? Like, I I only know from, like, the media. Like, I have no uh, knowledge of actually how trials work. How did you figure all that out?
2: Well, I wish I had a lot more legal knowledge than I have. Um, what really helped me is the fact that, um, especially the that large trial in Frankfurt has been... Written about a lot at the time already, there are several trial reports, um, but also in in more recent years there have there have been historical studies of those trials that talk about the legal and the political implications. Mm-hmm. Um, the big trial in Frankfurt, for example, um, there are audio recordings of. Almost each of the many, many sessions in court, that that one big trial that lasted over 20 months. Wow. And you can actually listen to them uh, online, and there's a transcript and everything.
0: Are they in German or English? They, they'd be
2: in German, yeah. And you speak German? I do speak German, <laughs> so yeah. So you're good to go. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and that was, yeah, so super interesting to, to listen to that, but also really a rabbit hole you can mm-hmm. get lost in because it's thousands of hours of tape. Yeah. But then you start recognizing certain, certain things that certain people say on, on those records and then you find them again in the fictional works wow. and you see that, you know, the authors too yeah. did their research, mm-hmm. right?
0: That, actually, sorry, Mark, I'm going to cut you off because I have to write a question, but who is writing these fictional works? Like, are they, uh, like, so they, li- clearly some of them have done their research, they've listened to it, but is it just, is it like historians that are writing this? Like, what what motivates someone to write about this? It's so interesting, but who's doing it?
2: All kinds of different authors. Um, for, for example, I have um, a play on my list that I'm looking at. It's mm-hmm. called uh, What Price for Justice? And it was written by, Ruth Barnett, who um, was born in Germany and grew up there mm-hmm. until the um, the Nazi Party took power in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. And because her family was Jewish, she was actually evacuated to the U.K., oh. where she grew up and now still lives. Um, and her father used to, or at the time he was... Um, he was a lawyer on the rise uh, and a judge, actually, and mm-hmm. he was forced into exile. And then he came back to Germany, to West Germany, after 45. And, he, and her play is really, on the one hand, it's about her own experience you know, being brought away from home, mm-hmm. from her family, growing up somewhere completely new. But it's also about her father's um, attempt to regain his position in the German judiciary, mm-hmm. the Western judiciary, after coming back. Um, and that story is actually also told in one of the novels that I'm looking at, yeah, so there's um uh, in this particular case, there's um a biographical aspect to it, but there's also authors on my list that are just you know interested in in that yeah in Fritz Bauer as a person um I talked about him earlier um he actually features in i think at least five of the fictional works I'm looking at, mm-hmm. which is interesting to compare, right so yeah, I think it's um it's fascinating how, how similar the approaches are in a way, but also how different.
1: Mm-hmm. Are all the uh, fictional works you're looking at written in German, i.e. written by Germans for Germans, or are there some, perhaps, uh, other works written in other languages? So for the most part,
2: they are written in German by Germans. I just mentioned that play, That's What Price for Justice. That one's written in English. Okay. Um, and I, I really, I tried to really find anything and everything fictional about this period of time that I could find, especially outside the German context because that would have been so interesting to look at. I just haven't really found a lot. It would make for um, an interesting comparison. and
1: Because yes. I will see um, the trials in the 50s and 60s, they weren't instigated by the allies. Like they were instigated by internally Is that correct? Yes, they were instigated
2: for the most part or most prominently by Fritz Bauer and um, his public prosecutor's office in Frankfurt.
1: Okay. You've alluded to some of the difficulty and complexity. As an example, we know that there's... There's, there was the SS and then there's the Wehrmacht, the German army. Yeah. And then what you know the relationship between them is complex because on the one hand it would be wrong to say everyone was Nazi. That, that would be categorically wrong. On the other hand, it's also wrong to say that only SS committed atrocities. But that's not to implicate all the Wehrmacht either. <laughs> In other words, the truth is complicated. And so approaching these trials, I'm aware that the history is complicated. I'm wondering to what extent um, the trials were enacted in almost reconstruction, like national reconstruction or transition, i.e. nation building, and expunging some aspects and then embracing justice. Is, is, that, is that part of what was happening at the time?
2: Yeah, I think so. And it's it's one of the big questions that the fiction works, uh, fiction works talk about. Um, and it's what I write about in my final chapter. Um, each of the fiction works, to some degree reaches a point, where it's clear that you can't really, you can't get um, retributive justice in each case because more often than not, specific evidence is lacking or you can't convincingly argue based on the laws at the, at the time that whatever the defendant did was actually um, a crime. So what, what the fiction works do is they imagine, and that's very much in the spirit of transitional justice, mm-hmm a concept of justice that goes beyond punishment mm-hmm. and that focuses more on truth-telling. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, they all imagine legal prosecution, especially in court, as a means to have the truth come out um, and a means to educate the public in West Germany about what happened, uh, and also about the the involvement of German or West German society as a whole in those crimes. Um, what What the fiction works underline in this context is, on the one hand, the realization that the perpetrators at the time were to large parts what you would describe ordinary people. Mm-hmm. They went back to lead ordinary lives after forty five um and that is that's really that's portrayed or framed as a really important realization because it changes the way West Germans look at each other but also at themselves Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and the second the second important realization is that even though what many germans did at the time was not criminally or legally wrong there is still a duty to say no and going forward that's why you know today when you grow up in germany you learn about all this and what you're So the general message is that, of course, if you're born long after what happened, you don't have a responsibility for what happened. Mm -hmm. But you have a responsibility to make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's that's kind of, I want to say, the notion that most of the fictional works end on very interesting
0: yeah i want to ask a question kind of how you got to this research so you mentioned like when you grew up in germany you learn about all this how long like when did you find canada (laughs) like when did you come here was it just for your degree
2: um so i so i did my undergrad in Germany at the University of Mannheim in Hispanic <laughs> studies, actually. Um,
0: oh, interesting. So, interesting. <laughs> so, I
2: um I used to work a lot on fictional representations of the Spanish Civil War and the dictatorship after, and also that that period right after dictatorship in the 70s that is known as the Transición, transition. Mm-hmm. The transition. Mm-hmm. But at that time, I had, I wasn't re- doing research on on Germany at all. Um, mm-hmm. I then went to um, Brock University in St. Catharines for mm-hmm. a Master's in Studies in Comparative Literatures and Arts, right. and I still worked on you know <laughs> my Spanish literature and film, and then I came to Western for my PhD in mm-hmm. Complet, um, and I found a course um, to take at the Center for Transitional Justice and Post-Conflict Reconstruction mm-hmm. here at Western that looked similar to what I had done in the past. I just had no idea there was this thing called transitional justice. Um, So I took that course, and I thought it was really interesting, and I learned a lot of things that I kind of knew about, lots of new things, and then I also stumbled upon this particular period of time Mm -hmm. in West Germany at the time. Um, Yeah, and then I started finding the films and the novels, and I thought, man, that would make a good project,
1: Mm -hmm. so... I kind of shifted a little bit. You shifted a little bit, but I can see the uh, connection to your Hispanic studies. You looked at a uh, similar topic when you were reading Hispanic literature. Yeah. And I know, like, in Spain, um, I mean, I shouldn't say I know. I mean, I've heard very little bit And uh, about, you know, for example, um, moving Franco's, General Franco's mortal rem- remains from the Valley of the Fallen yeah. uh, to a less conspicuous place. Um, and in Spain, it's still very much a... Uh, it's still very much, I it's think. It's a super <laughs> hot topic. It's a super hot topic because, I mean, I appreciate that there are, you know, uh, uh, less than positive aspects, but then but then to move someone's grave, you know, in Spain, I know it's very controversial. And also how people relate to General Franco is still a hot topic in Spain, um, which is very interesting. Um, I want to congratulate you. and I, I understand you recently finished your dissertation. Dude, thanks. You have a public lecture coming up on November 1st, is I that do. correct? I do, that's yeah. correct. Okay, very cool. Um, in our remaining brief time, um, do you want to tell us maybe a little bit, Pascal, about your Western experience outside of the classroom? What have you? Been, any extracurriculars you've been involved in?
2: I've been at Western now for five years, I think. Um, I think it's a good time to finish up PhD. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I was actually involved with SOGS for the past two years as SOGS counselor for Complet. You know, a bit sad. I'm graduating now, and I, you know, th- that's done. But also um, happy for some of new students in our program to step up and take a little bit of that responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's what I've been doing.
1: Oh, that's that's very good to hear. Well, um, I'll be uh, sure to attend your public lecture. And awesome. uh, yeah, thank you. And uh, congratulations again on on finishing.
2: Thanks.
0: Mm-hmm. And just in the very brief time we have before we finish, what's next for you? What, what's Are you continuing this research? or?
2: Nothing's really set in stone, um, except I think I know I don't want to dive right into the next research project. I've been sitting by myself uh, at my desk for the past two or three years just yeah. writing this thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm ready now to, you know, go out and do something yeah. with other people that are involved. So... I might go back to my research at some point, but for now, I'm kind of weighing my options. Mm -hmm. Think I'd like to stay on campus. Um, If it's gonna be research, I don't know yet.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us on GradCast. It's been awesome to hear about your research. Thank you so much.
2: My pleasure, thanks for having me.
1: This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I've been your host, Mark Ambrosio, and, and my co-host was Amelie Hutchinson. We've been speaking with Pascal Mickelberger. If you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, please email us at gradcast at sogs.ca. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Gradcast Radio. To listen to us, we're on Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes wherever you're, you find your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day, and thank you once again, Pascal.